I, I love that song that we just sang. And the reason I do is because uh, this is the gathering of Christ's body. You know, and every time the Bible is open, God speaks. Um, to the extent that I don't get in the way, to the extent that the Word of God is accurately unfolded, accurately interpreted, accurately proclaimed to you, God Almighty will speak because you have a copy of, of His revelation and, um, and, and His Word. And there's power in the Word. Um, you have experienced it if you're a believer. If, if you're a faithful believer, you've experienced that, you've observed that in the, in, in the life of, of, of someone else. You have shared the gospel with them or shared a truth with a believer and, and you have seen their eyes open. It's, it's the living Word of, uh, of God. And so it's an exciting thing to come and, and hear and hear the word, and 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 I, for whatever reason, I guess this maybe it's the way that I'm wired. Different phases of the year uh, make me make me think differently. You know, when uh, the first part of the year comes, I'm thinking about it's a new year, and and uh, I I think God kind of builds that into life. I mean, every morning the Bible talks about God's mercies are new every morning. You lay down. How many times have you have you got to the end of the day and went, you know, thank you, Lord, that that's over with. And then you wake up the next morning and there's a renewed sense of hope because you've got a new day that, that you're facing. Nothing changed from your problems yesterday. You just have rest and have energy in which to, in which to face it. And, and it's, a, it's a truly exciting time of the year, I think. It's fall. It's when everybody begins to, to move back to to their routine. I love summer. I love vacations. But I also like, like routine. It's an exciting time to be part of the body here at, at Timberlake. Uh, the Ford Development Committee has been coming around to different Sunday school classes. And, and it's the Lord's doing something in our midst that He's been doing for, for quite some time. And I think we're on the edge of, of some great things. Um, God's growing the reach of our church and missions and and ministry. Um, TCS is busting out of its walls. We have certain classes that we've had to split. Uh, we, we can't hold the number of students over there, so much for the devil's attempt with Sonny Kale and all that situation. Um, the Lord keeps entrusting us with new opportunities and new challenges, new properties, all of that. And, and we're looking forward to, to some major decisions that you've been praying about and we've been talking about for for quite some time. And, and all of that, simply, I stand in awe that God would, would, would entrust us with such a privilege, especially when we're so weak. Uh, and really what we deserve is hell. Does anybody deserve anything more than hell? Uh, if you think so, you probably need to take a closer look at the Scriptures. I mean, that's what we deserve. We deserve no opportunity. We deserve no grace. Grace is unmerited favor. What we deserve is, is judgment. And that favorite passage that we like, but God, right? Who is rich in mercy. And God is good in giving us such a privilege of serving Him. And, and this morning I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where there's the same kind of thing happening in the church. Great things happening. A lot of activity, a lot of 
growth a lot of opportunity and along with that some difficulties. God was advancing the gospel. New opportunities were opening up. There were changes among them, changes around them, and those changes brought some growing pains. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we're going to get an inside look at how the early church handled a problem. How the early church handled a problem that was very significant. It could have derailed not just the church in Jerusalem, but the advance of the gospel. Now, you remember the the gospels. There are four of them. They all go together. They tell about the life of Jesus Christ. Tell about his the preparation for His coming, His birth, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, and then they end with the resurrection of Christ, the commissioning of the church. And that's where the book of Acts picks up. The book of Acts, written by Luke, picks up where the Gospels leave off. And it begins with Jesus ascending into heaven, the commission to the disciples, um, Reinstituted, re-given, however you want to say that. They were reminded of their task to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Pentecost comes and the church is launched. And then you watch through the book of Acts that, that, that growth. You see a problem here in Acts 6 that the church responds to and their spiritual response actually has allowed the church to grow even more. We're going to just cover the first seven verses. Let's read in Acts 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. That's of, of food. The daily distribution for for the widows, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, even the unbelievers, were obedient to the faith. Now, no doubt you've read that passage before. It is a significant passage, typically called the deacon passage. And here the the church in Jerusalem teaches us some lessons, I believe, of how to handle challenges that growth brings. The church of Jesus Christ is different from any other thing. I say thing because I really don't even know a word to describe it. It's unique. It's the, it's the body of Christ. When we stood at the, at the, the wedding yesterday, it's a great opportunity to explain the, the, the 
purpose of marriage, picturing the relationship between Christ and the, and the church, the covenant love that Christ has for His bride. And the church is called the bride of Christ. It's also called the body of, of Christ. It's, it's living. It's, it's, a, it's alive. It's an organism. It's, it brings together Jew and Gentile and, and uh, Tennessean and West Virginian and Virginian and UVA and Virginia Tech and whatever else you can think of. And they're all brought together, unified around Christ and around the gospel. Not those things that, that are their differences, but what brings them together. And that is that's the gospel. The fact that, that you have been baptized into the body. And that body is represented even here this morning in a, in a local fashion. The church of Jesus Christ doesn't have a, a rigid framework of a tightly organized corporation. And yet it also is not loose, whatever goes, free-flowing gathering. The church is an organism. It has both life and structure. It follows after, it follows after its maker. It follows after God. God is the creator, and in creation you can see structure, can't you? Life and structure. You can even see that, that structure in a, in a cell, all the way down to some of the smallest organisms that are around. Cell is living, and yet it has structure to it. And don't ask me to remember what all those little pieces in the cell um, is. The church is an organism. It has both life and structure, and all of its members are are bound together through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. They're connected to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are alive. We believe in regenerate church membership, meaning that you don't enter the church to get life. You, you are part of the church because you are alive. You, you are regenerated. You have spiritual life in you. And because you have spiritual life, then, then you're part of this, part of this body. And we're bound together by the Spirit, and we're connected, we're in union with Christ, connected to, to the head. And yet all living things require structure and organization to function, and so does the, so does the church. And that's one of the things that we'll see that, that the church is dealing with here. God has ordained the church to have spiritual organization, and through that life and structure that you find here beginning to come into play and Acts chapter 6, God shows us a way to successfully maneuver the difficulties that, that arise from, from growth. So, to bring the slide up here for you, if I give you a proposition for you to follow this morning, I would say there are three keys to managing the growing pains of, of ministry in Acts 6 verses 1 through 7. And the first key that you're going to find here is multiplying creates ministry. Second thing you're going to see is ministry needs managed. And the third thing you're going to see is management must not minimize the main thing. Those are three significant principles that we get from Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at the first one. The key to managing growing pains is to remember that multiplying creates ministry. Any church that is alive grows, and growing brings change. Change brings difficulty. And right out of the gate, Luke tells us the problem that the church was facing, and it was a difficulty brought about by growth. Look, if you would, at verse 1. 
It says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. I mean, Luke turns the page, turns to a new scene in the book of Acts with now in those days, so you know it's a new topic, and then he begins to define for us what the topic is going to be. I want you to notice three things in this first verse. The natural growth brought about a problem when the, when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Second thing I want you to, to notice that the, the, the problem was, was due to this, this change. There arose a, a complaint against the Hellenists by the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected by the daily distribution. Natural growth brought about the problem. The problem was due to change. Someone felt their needs were being overlooked, and, and then that led to a, to a complaint. Now, when you hear the word complaint, probably what comes into your mind, comes in my mind, is that that's negative. But this is not necessarily negative here in the book of Acts. This was a real and legitimate issue. A real and legitimate issue is the, is the care for the widows of the church. I mean, you'll find all the way over into the epistles. You have the Gospels, which tells the story of Jesus, the book of Acts, which tells the story of the growth of the church, and then you have all the epistles that prescribe how this this church is to function. You'll find all the way up into Paul's last epistle, he is talking about the role of the widows and the care of the widows. So this is not a throwaway issue. This is not just people demanding something that's, that's unrealistic. This is, a, this is a real situation. But a complaint arose because of a, because of a neglect, and that came about because of, because of a good thing, because of, of growth. And you don't, we don't, we're not told here by Luke how many members there were in the church at the time, but Acts 4 tells us that, that there were over 5,000 men. Now, you can do some math. I don't know if it was 1.9 or 2.3 or however craziness. How do you get a point three a kid? I don't know. However, the census does it today. We're not given the statistics, but you can do some pretty basic math and figure out if there are 5,000 men, unless all of them are ugly and couldn't find a wife. You probably have about 20,000 people here. That's a pretty big church, isn't it? Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't all gathering together in a building like we're gathering together in a building. This was in Jerusalem, and believers could gather there in, in a number of different places. The reasonable bath for women and children, you could have over 20,000 members, and by this time it's, it's beginning to create difficulties. I told you before, my grandfather's favorite. My dad was just down over the weekend, and, and he left really early this morning. Somebody asked me yesterday if... I thought he was going to come to church this morning, and I said, I don't know, but usually he finds something to do and a way to... Well, he took off really early this morning, and he's on his way back to West Virginia. But I spent some time with him. The older he gets, the more he reminds me of my grandfather. Loved my grandfather. And Proverbs... You remember he got saved when he was all the way up in his 60s, and Proverbs was his favorite book. And he liked it because of its, its short, pithy statements. Clearly, this would have been one of his favorites. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there is no ox, the manger is clean, but 
Much increase comes by the strength of an ox, or strength of the ox. You know what that means? In the context here, it means multiplying creates manure. That's what it means. And that's what the church was facing. Sometimes, lots of manure. And while it stinks, it's necessary. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that the issue that they had there was manure. I'm saying that growth, using an ox, you can get a lot done. But there's a byproduct that comes from it. The byproduct of growth, the byproduct of this, of, of this, this change that's taking place in the church of Jerusalem is difficulty. Now, you can obviously either allow that manure to pile up around your ankles or you can get a shovel out and deal with it, which is exactly what the leadership here is is going to do. There are two distinct groups in the church. The Hebrews and the Hellenists. Look at verse 1. There was a complaint arose against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now, both of these individuals were believers. These groups were were believers and they were in the same they were in the same church. Two distinct groups in the church and one felt like they had rights that weren't being considered and and we're not told here that that, that was not true as a matter of fact. They come up with a solution for the legitimate need that is here. Now Hellenist is a or what's called Greek Jews. They're both Jews. They're Hebrew Jews and Greek Jews. Okay? Big difference. The Hellenists, or the Greek Jews, are the ones of the diaspora, or the, the scattering. They spoke Greek, they had a very different culture, and they were viewed as the, the outcasts. These were the, these were the sellouts. These were the ones that bought the Greek culture, and the Hebrew Jews didn't. They, they kept the traditions, they kept the language, they, they kept a lot of those things. And now, in Christ... They're, they're coming to the Lord, and they're in the same church. And there's big differences. And this need exposes one of those differences. The care of the widow was a traditional practice. And there was a distribution of money and food. And, and one group said that their widows weren't getting their proper portion. Now, now, if you can't tell by reading, this is Satan's soup, as I like to say. I mean, you've got all of the elements here of a really ugly situation. And you know the end of the story. God is glorified because the church handles it with great wisdom and grace and humility. But you've got all the elements of an ugly situation. You have cultural differences. You have the Hebrews and the Hellenists in the, in the same church. The Hellenists were the new and the Hebrews were the old. We are the ones that have been here in Jerusalem. We were the ones here on the, the day of Pentecost. And they both approached life in very different ways. The Hellenist Jews had a very Greek culture, and the Hebrew Jews, as I said, had a very traditional and Jewish culture. Different likes, different languages. You have cultural differences. You also have legitimate needs. Um, Widows being fed. Most issues that you'll find in the book of Acts, or probably in your own practical experience, that arise in a church are related to a real issue. This is a real issue, but Satan can take a real issue and turn it into a really bad thing. Now, put on top of the cultural differences and the real need here, a group that is helpless, being neglected, and add money to it. And now you've got a big issue, right? Put money in the mix and you've got an atomic bomb 
that Satan can detonate. And that's what you have here. The distribution of, of, of for the widows, sometimes food, and other times it was actual money given to them. So somebody has the money purse. And the Hellenists are saying, you're not using the money. Now remember, this church, all things are in common. And so they still had their own private property. This wasn't the little Jesus socialist communist compound. They freely sold and freely gave. But they all gave to the church. And the apostles were then, were then doling that out through the, the different... Uh, ministries and circumstances there. And they're saying, I gave to this, and Grandma's not getting what she's supposed to get, or whatever, you know, whatever it was. You get a, an ugly situation brewing here. And Satan could use that issue as a powerful force to harm the church. It's a pivotal moment in the church, which is why it's recorded here in the book of Acts. You can look back and you see Ananias and Sapphira was a pivotal moment in the church. You can look back and see the persecution of, of Peter and John was a pivotal moment in the church. This is a pivotal moment in the, in the early church because Satan could use that powerful force. And depending upon how they responded, it could do great damage or bring great growth. And we know what happens. Now, Satan's already attacked the church through persecution in Acts 3 and 4. First thing he does after Peter preaches, growth like, like you have never seen. And then he begins to persecute the leadership there. Acts 5, Satan tries to introduce sin into the church. God moves and immediately, miraculously, in a very open way, judges it. Ananias and Sapphira. And now this is Satan's third tactic. And the third tactic is introducing division in the church. And he introduces this dissension through legitimate needs of the people. And his hope was through the internal conflict he could zap their strength and that the message would be lost. Um, multiplying creates ministry. More people, new people, more resources, more issues. And you can look at that in two ways. I don't like problems, so I don't want to grow. Now, nobody says that in a blunt way, but change is hard, isn't it? Now, I'm not preaching... At you, I'm with you on this. Um, I don't like problems, and change is not really my cup of tea. As a matter of fact, the older I get, the more thankful I am for the younger people in my life because they kick me in the pants quite a bit. Because I can get very, very comfortable, and the longer I live, the more comfortable I get in my, in my ways. But change makes me stretch. It makes me cut new paths, and frankly, the paths I know are, are comfortable. But that's the Lord's plan. Everything that is alive grows, and whatever doesn't grow stagnates and gets ingrown, and that's what Satan's trying to do. Focus on a legitimate issue where there's division and dissension inside the church so they won't focus on spreading the gospel outside the church. The other way to see it is it's an opportunity, opportunity brought by God. If I can see the Lord and not myself, He can lead me to growth in me. And I have new opportunities to serve. And God is continuing to, to work that in me. And He's continuing to work it in the church here. But Satan knows if you're too, battle, too busy battling each other, you can't serve the Lord. You can't even see the Lord 
or you can see is you're a Hebrew or a Hellenist. My pastor used to, used to say, you can't fight the deacons, the devil, and the darling at home in ministry. You ever heard that before? It's an old West Virginia saying. Division and dissension turns you inward instead of outward. It zaps your energy. And so God's leaders provide a solution for the problem. And that pro- solution is further organization. Look at the second key. That was Satan's temptation. Look how the church responds to that temptation. Ministry, or multiplying creates ministry. Ministry needs to be managed. Look at verse 2. This is how they responded. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the the ministry of of the word. That's how the leaders responded to this situation. Just as harmful as dissension from growing pains can be, a ministry that goes unmanaged, there's no response, can also create problems. Here the problem was created by growth and it requires an adjustment. It requires an adjustment to meet it. The leaders didn't ignore it. They, they dealt with it and so by providing organization and oversight, they attempt to fix the situation. And up to this point, the, the church has had some minor organization. Uh, it had leaders, you know, the apostles. And here it even talks about the twelve being gathered together. But you don't have, in this part of the book of Acts, elders, pastors. You don't have deacons. You don't have, you don't have a lot of the structure that, that we have. Not a, there is some. You had leaders who were apostles. They had membership in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. They knew how many converts were added to the church. So they know who these individuals are. They're keeping track of who the people were. They also met at a specific time and specific place. They talked about continuing the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and, and so on and so forth. Acts 5 tells us that they collected money. Acts 6 here tells us that they distributed money. So they have some organization that was, that was there. This passage at times, as I said, is attributed to the, to the calling of the first deacons, but, but nowhere in the passage are they actually given the title deacon. I think this is the seedbed for where deacons come from. But these seven men aren't called a deacon here. In fact, Philip is later called an evangelist. And the, the needs arise in the church that needed managed, so leadership organizes this new ministry to provide oversight. Verse 2 again. Then the twelve, what did they do specifically? Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. And they said, it's not desirable. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. And he gives them specific qualifications for those individuals. For this this new ministry, this new management. They summoned the church, and they call the church together, and they ask them to survey amongst themselves. The word literally means to, to seek out. It means to spy out. It means to look over the people and consider. 
And he gives them the qualifications or what they're to use as their, as their guide. He didn't say, pick out among you whoever you wanted. He says, pick out people that have these spiritual qualifications. And you can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for pastors, for deacons, for whatever, whatever else it might be. Here is your, the principle that, that leadership has, has qualification or people serving have qualification. They're to look over the people, consider the men who would perform this ministry, not just warm bodies, but those who meet certain requirements. And I think the last time I remember uh, saying this to you was, was, uh, was attributed to Mike. Um, um, Mike, uh, Deacon Mike, the one that just left with Jody. Walt, Walton. I told you you'd pray for me. I'm drawing blanks. When we talked about... Looking for a new deacon, and a deacon is a servant. So when you think of a person, who comes to your mind when you think servant? And we were talking amongst ourselves and said, Mike Walton clearly is a man that you think servant. Now, I probably wouldn't say this if Mike was here because it would probably embarrass him to death, but Mike was a servant, wasn't he? I mean, Mike was a servant. That's what he's saying here. Look out amongst yourselves. Here's the list of qualifications. And when you see men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit, with wisdom, and the other list is there, who comes to your mind? It's a natural thing. It's it's just like in 1 Timothy 3, whenever you're to examine uh, a pastor. There's marks of faithfulness there. Those aren't marks of perfection. It means that that are these marks in their life to the point that, that you attribute that to them. You think of that person when you think of, of someone who is a, you know, a one-woman man or a husband of one wife, someone who's able to teach, all of those other things that, that are there. And it gives them the five criteria. There to be men. Very specific here. Sorry, ladies. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. There to be from within you, from you. Seek out from among you. Those who serve in ministry here in this capacity were to be people that were from amongst your, your own congregation. And why is that? Because people outside of our congregation are no good? No, because of the principle that I just shared with you. If somebody is from among you, within the congregation, you know them. You know whether they meet these qualifications or not. One of the reasons that we're passionate about, about training people within is because you know their life. They must be able to examine them in order to see if they meet these qualifications. They're men. They're from among you. They, they must have a good reputation. Men of integrity, known, proven. As they survey and spot out the congregation, they're a known character. They were to be full of the, of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. No task, no matter how small, should be done by unspiritual people. You have a mess on your hands. From sweeping floors to preaching the gospel. And these men were distributing food and handling money, and they're to be full of the Spirit, which means that they're saved. And it also meant that they were full of the Word of God. Being full of the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit means you're full of the Word and you're in submission to the Word. You're, there's, a, there's a clear pattern in their life of submission to the truth. Not submission to their own heart, but submission to the truth. Not submission to 
other people, but submission to the truth. And that's how the Spirit influences our lives. He influences us through, through the Word. And they're to have wisdom, sober, righteous judgment. They aren't just full of the Scriptures. They're, they know how to apply them in life. So now follow this pattern. Here's the problem. Leaders recognize a need created by growth. They initiate a solution. The church body surveys, selects, and then submits those people to, to the apostles. Look at verse 5. It says, The saying pleased the, the multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and they list the rest of them. And then look at verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles... And when they, that's the apostles, had prayed and laid hands on them, the word of God spread. Now look back at verse 5 again. The saying pleased the whole multitude. You know what that means? Now think about the context of what's going on here in verse 1. Now in those days, there were a number of disciples multiplying. The complaint arose against Hebrews and Hellenists. The church is divided. There's a group of Hebrews and there's a group of Hellenists. And they're divided over legitimate needs. So the apostles come up with a solution. And the solution pleased both Hebrews and Hellenists. It pleased the multitude. It pleased both groups. This is a solution that the Lord's in. It can work. It's for emphasis. simply means the solution that leadership came up with pleased both groups. You shouldn't think that that means everyone got their own pork projects in the congressional bill so everyone was happy. How do I know that? Look at the names of the men chosen. Look at the names. Look at verse 5. And the saying pleased both Hebrews and Hellenists, or the whole multitude. And they chose. This is who the congregation, after spying out, considering the problem, considering the... The, the qualifications, these are the people that they want to submit to the apostles for their approval. Verse 5, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Do you notice anything about all of those men? you notice any Hebrew names in there? They're all Greeks. Every single one of them are Hellenists. All seven men that both Hebrews and Hellenists chose were Greeks. All of the names of these men are Greek, meaning that all of the men were Hellenists to make sure that the tables were served and the Hellenist widows were cared for. That's one of the reasons you also know that these weren't the first deacons per se, but the first opportunity for the office to be created. The original Hebrew believers, who were the majority, presented a group of Hellenists for the leaders to approve. Now, now that's unity. That's putting their own desires aside for whatever was best for the needs of others. They didn't say, well, we have to have more Hebrews than Greeks, and so let's make an equal number representing each because we want equal representation. That's not what they said. We have to make sure our needs are provided for. No, they, the existing Hebrews chose all, chose all Hellenist men to serve, to defer to the needs of their brothers. What would it have looked like with the temptation that Satan brought here if they'd stayed divided and demanded an equal number of Hebrews, equal number of Greeks, or whatever it, whatever it looked like? 
it had played right into Satan's hands. So you have a, a wise and humble congregation here and a wise and humble leadership both submitting to the Lord for the care of the, of the body. Discerning the needs and the process that comes through. One of the great blessings that, that I've had and enjoy in, in some of the meetings that you haven't been able to be in, you're, you're in, in some of them now, one of, the, one of the reasons we were breaking up in Sunday school classes and is, is that's a comfort area. That's a place where you're same age, same likes, typically same Sunday school teacher. So people, it's easier for people to talk and birds of a feather flock together. And so you're, you're probably more alike in your Sunday school class than you are this morning because there's all the Sunday school classes are together. So one of the reasons that we start in the Sunday school classes first is so everyone gets an opportunity to talk about from their perspective. So we can find out what are the needs of the Hellenists. What are the needs of the widows that we're not, that we're not considering? But then we'll all come together and we're keeping track of all of the questions and all of the, all of the statements that are made by every Sunday school class. So each Sunday school class can hear the needs of, of the other. So the college age can hear the needs of the senior saints. And so the senior saints can hear the needs of the, of the ones with of mothers and fathers with, with children. One of the blessings that I have, you'll get to have that night because everyone will talk about their needs and how to meet each other's needs. The blessings I've had in sitting in some of these, some of these deacons, pastors and deacons meetings is, is watching Act 6 take place. You know who's brought up the needs of the seniors in the forward development committee meetings? The first person to bring up the issue of parking, which I know is something that people have talked about before, was a college-age individual. How are we going to make sure that the seniors have parking? Let's start a, uh, a valet ministry in order to do that. You know who brought up the fact that we have mothers at Timberlake Baptist Church, some of them coming in this morning, dropping kids off in three different buildings? And in a beautiful day, that's fine. But in the rain, that's pretty difficult, right? You ladies remember the days when you had one under one arm and one by the hand? Your husband went on to Sunday school, and you take the baby and drop it off in the ministry uh, in the in the ministry center, and then you walk back over to the old church and drop the kid off there. And maybe if you have three, you drop one off the toddler nursery, and then you come to church. The first person to bring that up, saying, whatever we do in the future, we want to make sure that we have all things under one roof. That was a senior saint, a person that doesn't even have kids. That is the perspective. Now, that's the church in action and how it's supposed to function. Look at what else they did in verse 6. They set these individuals before the apostles and they prayed. When they prayed, they laid hands on them. It's the first time in the Bible where you get the idea of laying on of hands. It's a confirming process. Now, I want you to notice what the, what the apostles did. It says, when they prayed. Do you remember why the apostles turned to the congregation to set apart these people for their approval? Do you remember why the apostles did that? Well, the Word tells us. It says right here in verse 2, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we leave the Word of God to serve tables. In verse 4, 
but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That brings you to the, to the third key and where we close. The third key is management. Multiplying creates ministry. It's a reality. You want it to happen. If it's not happening, you're not growing. Ministry needs to be managed. And then finally, management must not minimize the main thing. Satan's ultimate goal in the book of Acts is to turn them inward on themselves based on issues so they miss the main thing. What's the main thing? <laughs> well, here in this, in this context, it's the apostles in prayer and preaching of the Word. But what's that mean? It's so that the Word of God would spread. It's so that the gospel would, would spread and, and take place. And even in our situation, it has nothing to do with, with being on Campus One or Campus Two or buildings or anything else. It's about the gospel and it's about people. Now, some of you may not come if we didn't have a building, but I guarantee you the true church of Christ, if this place burnt down tomorrow and we were left with ashes in a field, there would be people here. I'd be here preaching the Word. Would you be here? You would be here. Because it's about the main thing. And the main thing is not about a building. It's not about going three different places. It's not even about being a Hellenist or a Hebrew. It's about Jesus Christ. And so the third key here, managing growing pains. Management must not minimize the, the, main, the main thing. And you find that with what the apostles said. It was the Word of God that brought the growth. Chapter 5, verse 42 and they didn't cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ, and now the ministry needs arise and needs to be managed, and it threatens to take the church's focus off of the main thing. It threatens to take the men of God off of the main thing, which was preaching the Word, and, and it's not desirable to do that. Now let me ask you a question. What do you hear whenever you hear what the apostles say here? It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. It's not desirable that we do those unimportant things. Is that what you hear? <laughs> I mean, think of what he's already clearly said. This is so significant, structure has to be put in the church. Seven individuals have to be set apart and approved and all of those other things. This is, they're not saying that this is, this is unimportant. I mean, this is something that could destroy the church. This is an attack by, by Satan. If it wasn't done, this is going to leave the church lame. So they're not saying this is unimportant. Well, they're saying everyone has a purpose and a focus, and, and whatever happens in ministry, it's the men of God must not be taken away from serving the, the Word of God. The main thing has to stay the main thing. I believe it's truth is one of the issues that you find in the church today, and I don't have time to get up on a soapbox, but, but people grow to grow. Let's just grow to grow. Everything is about growth. And they, it will even minimize the main thing <laughs> to grow. You don't like long sermons? We'll cut the long sermons. Don't like theologically correct music? We'll get rid of the music. Want a little spice? Want a little drama? Want a little bit of whatever? Now, you know I'm not talking about remaining in the 1940s or whatever else and not embracing technology and those kind of things. But giving up the main thing for growth. 
And so they do that to grow and actually cut off the very lifeline of what causes growth. Look at verse 7. What was it that spread? The Word of God spread. The apostles practiced the very thing that they say. We shouldn't be taken away from prayer and the Word. And verse 6, And when they had prayed and laid hands on them, here's the apostles exercising their role of prayer. They're applying what they say. And leadership. They're setting apart. They're affirming them. Leaders are leading. Then the Word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied. You see the equation there? When the main thing stays the main thing, the Word of God spreads. When the Word of God spreads, disciples are multiplied and they're multiplied greatly. And so Satan's attack fails and the church continues to grow. The results are obvious. An equipped church, one that's mature, grows. And when the ministry created was managed, the men of God maintained their post. The Word of God spread and and God was glorified. Three keys. Multiplying creates ministry. Ministry needs managed. And management can't take away from the main thing. The Word of God brings growth. Beautiful picture. Perfect application with what we have before us as a congregation. Whatever we decide to do, whenever we decide to do it, Keep Acts chapter 6 in the forefront of your mind. Keep your guard up from the wicked one, for the wicked one. And watch God glorify Himself and grow His church. If you're a Hebrew, be thinking about the Hellenists. If you're a Hellenist, be thinking about the Hebrews. Amen?